Hello, and welcome to the Luther Loves Movies podcast, episode 5. It seems that I have made the regrettable decision of mixing an edible brownie into my smoothie. Yes, I get it, all brownies are edible, you know what I meant. I did this because I theorized it would help with my anxiety. This is something I've never done before. I don't know why I would think that. Especially knowing my previous relation with said brownies. Thus, I theorize today will be an extremely interesting episode, and also a nightmare to edit. But it's too late, and I have a regrettable amount of things to talk to about today. Oh boy, this is going to be a ride. Anyways, the Oscars are in two weeks. And while I've made at least a little bit of progress this week on my list, I still have quite a ways to go. This week I was able to watch Anatomy of a Fall, Past Lives, The Color Purple, uh, 20 Days in Morapool, and also The Island in Between. I watched The Island in Between on YouTube, actually, which is also where you can find The Barber of Little Rock, and also the live-action short film Night of Fortune. I rented Anatomy of a Fall and 20 Days in Morapool. The streaming service Max has recently added the color purple, and I was able to watch Past Lives on Hoopla. Hoopla, of course, is the streaming service I mentioned in last week's episode, where all it takes to sign up is your library card. So please, again, uh, if you guys get the chance, I urge you to check that out. I am starting to reach the conclusion that my best way to watch all the short films will be to try and catch it in theaters a couple of days before the Oscars. It's also starting to look that that might be the only way that I'm actually able to see the zone of interest as well. Of course, I would like to release my full list of predictions before the Oscar night, so I will probably be trying to get the seventh episode of the podcast out on that Saturday, one night before the Oscars. I will, of course, if I'm unable to see anything till the morning of the Oscars, will just have to post on the Luther Loves Movies Facebook page. In addition to The Zone of Interest, the four other films I've had the hardest time trying to find are Robot Dreams, Yo Capitano, and Perfect Days. Oh, and To Kill a Tiger. I just have not been able to find them anywhere, even though Apple TV Plus had like a little coming soon for Robot Dreams. I doesn't give me a date when, so I I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. I will probably uh, just rent Four Daughters, and I think that th that's the only one that I need to rent. I have Paramount Plus, so I should be able to watch The Eternal Memory, the ABCs of book banning, and Golda whenever I want to. Oh, and Mission Impossible. But for some reason, it just never wants to load. Anything that's not a TV show, for some reason, it's just been a pain in my butt. And I hope I can either figure it out or watch it maybe at a friend's house who has Paramount Plus. Or I don't know, maybe if I 
log in on something other than my TV, it'll work. I don't know what the issue's been, but I've stopped focusing on that. I'll go ahead and talk about The Island in Between, which is one of the documentary shorts directed by Leo Xiang about Kinmen, which is an island that is a part of Taiwan. Now, it is called the Island Between because Kinmen is, is in the Taiwan Strait between Taiwan and China. It is literally like five miles off the coast of China. And like a hundred miles away from Taiwan. <laughs> it is not very in between at all. It is very much, it's surrounded on three sides by China. The director talks about his father being stationed there in the military when he was young. And I can only imagine how that must have felt to have to go and work in the military on this island that is literally surrounded from where you're trying to defend against. But after all that time, it is of course still a part of Taiwan and the people there have a very well-earned sense of pride, I feel like, from what the documentary showed. Director Chung also talks about his relationship to Taiwan and China and the U.S. having lived and spent time in all three places and while having lived in the U.S. for a majority of his time had recently moved to Taiwan uh, and had filmed the documentary while traveling around with his parents. Due to its location, I would definitely be interested in looking into like a deep dive documentary about Kinmen. The next film I watched was 20 Days in Marple, which is about Associated Press reporter Mislav Chernov. And the documentary is about his and his colleagues' days spent in Marple during the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Do you remember how I put the last repair shop was as this beautiful like kind of like love story that sparks like happiness and joy well this is like the opposite of that where it sparks anger and fury and horror uh it is absolutely terrifying what these reporters captured everything from shellings and bodies and watching people die on the operating table and people trying to escape with their lives and watching everything that they've ever owned and loved be destroyed right in front of them within a matter of a couple of weeks. This documentary was so terrifying. Literally the night I watched it, I had nightmares and I just, I've never seen anything like it. And it's, I think it goes hand in hand with last year's best documentary feature about Navalny who passed away a couple of weeks ago. It just paints this horror story that's going on with Russia right now. It really just, it's hard for me to want to, it's hard for me to be able to express the amount of anger it makes me feel while still trying to make this podcast sound, I guess, professional. And to not, I don't want it to sound performative, but it genuinely just 
filled me with rage to watch this against Putin, against whoever the Russian military for following along. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's not, I'm not the kind of well-informed person to be able to explain all that, but the feelings it gives me and then also how I feel about everything that's going on with Israel and Gaza right now in the Middle East that I'm just not intelligent enough and knowledgeable and well-versed enough to speak on but because of my own opinions just fills me with a lot of inner turmoil and I feel like there's probably a lot of other people out there who feel that alongside me and you will feel that watching this. While it might not be my favorite, it's definitely what I'm pulling for to win because it's very important that people know what have happened out there. It is not like anything you can ever imagine and it's terrifying to think that this could ever escalate and get worse but it can especially if people aren't trying hard enough to put a stop to it I'm terrified to see what kind of Oscar nominated documentary about the war in Gaza we could see next year. I'm I'm being facetious when I say call it award winning because of course something like this is going to get nominated and at this point you don't really want to focus on the nomination. When I say that I want it to win it's because I want it to get recognition and for everyone to know about it. I I, I, it has importance and knowledge of it needs to be shared because I, I feel like this is the kind of thing that can help change people's minds. And unless, unless things change, I worry about these people not being held accountable for their actions. The Putins, the Netanyahus, I... I just worry about the state that the world is in, but of course, who isn't right now? And I I can't speak for I can't speak for anyone or I definitely can't I can't speak for everyone. I can't speak for anyone. I'm not even sure I can speak for myself half the time. But uh, it's I would say out of everything, this is probably the one that I would most encourage everyone to watch. Even though I, I, I will say trigger warning, it is very hard to watch at times. There are, even while censored, dead children, dead pregnant women, just bodies in the street, blood everywhere. It's gruesome I think that's all I have to say next is the color purple uh, as I mentioned early uh, the streaming service max had 
has gained exclusive rights to the color purple, so if you have a, a Max account, you can watch it there. Now, the color purple, the original film, was notorious for having 11 Oscar nominations and winning none of them. Some would definitely say it was probably snubbed then, and let me tell you, this one is snubbed now. This was an amazing film, and a beautiful musical. It, of course, was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for Danielle Brooks as Sophia, but I also thought Singer Fantasia absolutely should have been nominated for Best Actress. The way her character transforms over the film, and just everything that her character went to I just and she's on screen almost the entire film I just thought she gave a really knockout performance especially for especially since this is her debut film I also thought it had a fair chance at having been nominated for best picture best director and best adapted screenplay and then there was past lives now, Past Lives was a really beautiful, rather short film that I felt also fell a little short amongst the other films nominated for Best Picture. It is a really beautiful movie, very quiet at times, but it definitely has its worth. It's a different kind of love story. It's not your typical love triangle the, both of the men in the film are respectful and the film isn't so much about competing for love but I would say maybe acknowledging it acknowledging the chances we might have had the differences and paths that our lives could have taken it's based on a true story about director Celine Song's life and you really get the feeling of that everyone's reactions are not dramatized I mean they, they're dramatized because it's literally a dramatization of real life but it almost feels like a real conversation I, I like when films really blur that line between there's something you could see as like a real argument or a real celebration or a real dramatized interaction between two po two people's lives but it's the small mundaneish kind of conversations that I think are real selling points for an actor's ability I think sometimes to make those feel real and unacted requires a certain zenness, I want to say. Although I feel like that's not right and also sounds ridiculous. But there's a certain calmness it requires to portray it well. And that's all about that, I'm going to say. <laughs> I think the film really does prompt for the viewer to think about times in their life where relationships might have turned out differently. 
I think about sometimes I'm very happy with the relationship I am in and I I don't have any regrets about the choices that I've made uh, maybe one or two but not so much in terms of trying to keep one of those paths going further just how I interacted with people throughout my lives but it's still interesting to think about I've only, uh, <laughs> I might say I've only ever been in love with someone a couple of times with one of my former partners. It's interesting to think about if my life would have, how different my life and my regular, the course in which my life has taken had I stayed in one of those relationships or gotten out of them sooner. It's not so much thinking about the love that I shared with the person, but the impact that when you can join your life with another person, the difference it can have on the choices you make on what to do with your life. Then again, at this point, I think I'm just talking about thinking about the multiverse, the different possible paths that any of our lives could have taken at any point based off of anything and I think that's probably just where my interest is coming from but there's in other ways I relate such as I had a partner who I loved a lot who though we were not together at time later passed away I think a lot about if they were still alive today and what my life would be like if I still had the minute. That's not exactly the same as the film, but I feel like it provokes a lot of those thoughts. Now, I of course this think is a fantastic film. I think probably the main reason why I felt its impact on me a little less than the other films was that it was just a little too slow for me. Especially even though it's a short film, it made it feel longer by how slow some of the moments were. At the same time, I can't help but to wonder if it's impossible to really capture that feeling of human mundanity with that I was talking about earlier without having those kind of slow moments because life is in fact actually kind of slow <laughs> doesn't always seem it at times but I, the majority of times that we spent let's be honest something exciting is not happening every minute if it was we'd get pretty sick and tired of it pretty quickly lastly the film I watched this week was Anatomy of a Fall. This was my first time seeing German actress Sandra Heeler, but I think is interesting that while she is a well-known German actress, her the two films that I will have ever seen her in are Anatomy of a Fall and The Zone of Interest, I, which I thought was very peculiar that both of the, that she's in both films and those made it to the Oscars this year. Also, she of course plays a German woman in both films, 
one film being a UK film and the other film being a French film. So I thought that was a very neat little, I thought that was a neat little thing there. And I will say, as I think I mentioned about Oppenheimer, I love a courtroom drama. And Anatomy of a Fall is a really good courtroom drama. But Sandra Hewler just does an absolutely phenomenal performance in this film. You can see what kind of stress she's under as her life is being picked apart and put on stage under a very grueling prosecutor. And she's not able to have communication with her son and her son is finding things out about his parents' marriage that messes with him a lot. And he, the kid was a really good actor too, but I, she instantly became my pick this year for best actress. I just was blown away by her performance, trying not to reuse adjectives that I've already used before. I just thought she was stunning and her character gives the viewer a lot to reflect on. Relationships can be messy sometimes, very messy, and hers in that instance, I'm not sure if one would say it was abusive, but they both definitely had their troubles that they were dealing with that caused the other a lot of grief, her and her husband. The one main takeaway, though, from the trial was that even though it had its worst moments, that it couldn't be used to define the entirety of the relationship. Relationships are made up of a lot, and you are the one to define it. It definitely will give you a lot to think about, which I is probably pretty obvious to say, as any great film will. Oh, and... Addition to the great performance by Sandra Heeler and the kid who played her son, Daniel, uh, another great performer in this film was Messi, the dog who played Snoop, their pet border collie. Messi won the Palm Dog Award, which is obviously a cute little pun off the Palm Dior uh, award given at Cane's. But that is their award for best dog performance, best canine performance, which I did not know was a thing and was very happy to learn is a thing. And you can look it up on Wikipedia and see all the dogs that have won the Palm Dog. I will share that in today's uh, description so that you guys can look through it too, see if there's any famous dogs that you know and love their performances of. Yeah. Anyways, also my favorite year for the Palm Dog Award was 2009 for the Black Poodle that won it for its role in Inglorious Bastards, and then Doug from Disney's Up, and then also the Fox from Antichrist, and next to Fox it says in parentheses, rules were bent. Haha, that is, I love it. That is nice. I like that the fox won it and that Wikipedia put that in there. I just, ah, and that they put that parentheses in there. 
I'm very happy. I am very much still feeling the effects of that brownie. Oh, gosh. Alrighty. So, now I'm going to finally start giving out some of my predictions. As I'm doing this, I'm going to be scrolling around on my computer a bit, so... I apologize if I have to edit this a bit later, if you hear my mouse scrolling. But I just want to be able to knock this out uh, best I can. Now, I'm going to give the predictions from the ex from the uh i guess you could say the experts at gold derby uh as they are pretty good at, over the years um depicting a lot of the winners not always though uh i loved that on 20 i think it was 2015 or 2014 when birdman won best pitcher I, it one is my favorite film of all time. Two, I none of them picked it for best picture, and I called it, and I was like, yes, 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 yes. And uh, I was, I was very excited. <laughs> all right, I'll stop geeking out. Um, I will start with uh, the award nomination for best visual effects. The films nominated are The Creator, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Mission Impossible, Napoleon, and Godzilla Minus One. Now, I haven't gotten to see Mission Impossible yet. I've only really been able to see it from the trailer. But, like Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't expect either of these to win. They're... <laughs> They're really great films in terms of their... Uh, they're as well made as any other blockbuster hit. But I just... I, I'm almost kind of tired of seeing, like, Marvel animation at this point. I, or not animation, but video editing. Because, I don't know, there's something about the visual effects of Marvel films that all kind of just blend together. I'm not sure if I ever really noticed when one is better than the other. Although I, w I will say I did like they had like the altered animal creatures in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and that was a lot of fun. Uh, Napoleon mainly just had one horrifying scene where his horse got hit with a cannonball and it gave me nightmares for a week. But other than that, I thought it was still pretty, I don't want to say run-of-the-mill, but, I mean, yeah, they're great, but they're not ones you're expecting to win. Now, the creator, I absolutely loved. I, I love any kind of, like, futuristic, techno, like, cyberpunk kind of vibe, which this isn't really cyberpunk, but it's close enough to that realm of futuristic robot society kind of stuff um but just like the experts on this one my pick for the winner is going to be godzilla minus one godzilla minus one I, I thought shin godzilla was great i thought that was going to be the greatest godzilla film of all time 
I think this tops that. Godzilla Minus One was amazing, and they put it back in theaters as a black and white version. I, w- the scene where Godzilla is following the boat through the water is absolutely terrifying, and obviously this is an audio podcast, but I just did the thing with my hand to motion, like, you know, like when you see a alligator sway through the water? It's just awesome. I, so, I mean, and, and the effect of it's releasing its atomic breath on the city was really cool. Uh, I, I'm fanning out a lot, but it's definitely my pick. As well as mo- most of the experts, the some uh, listing uh, Napoleon and the creator as their picks. Alright, so the next one that I'm going to do is Best Sound. Uh, The nominees are Zone of Interest, Oppenheimer, Maestro, Mission Impossible, and The Creator. (sighs) At least for Maestro and The Creator, I can definitely say they were really good films for their sound production. I assume Mission Impossible is too, considering all the different stunts and the stuff they they have to do for those movies. I haven't seen Zone of Interest, and knowing what it's about, that kind of makes me a little bit anxious. But it is definitely... I would say that experts have probably chosen Oppenheimer as their best pick, um, but many have also chosen Zone of Interest as well. I will have Oppenheimer as my best pick for best sound, and I had that the moment it was in theaters, considering the multiple complaints I would get daily for from people trying to enjoy a Barbie movie and hearing an atomic bomb go off in the theater next to them. I mean, that that's the sound quality and production was one of the first things you know as I think even from the trailer um I I definitely called this one from the moment it came out I will say it was very funny to have all the complaints that the Oppenheimer was disturbing the Barbie movie because then in November everyone that was sitting during the quiet calm darkness of the uh Killers of the Flower Moon film had to also hear Taylor Swift singing through the walls. <laughs> so, I liked how that kind of flip-flopped. Next is Best Costume Design. There's Poor Things, Barbie, Napoleon, Killers of the Flower Moon, and Oppenheimer. And... I want to really say... That I'm kind of tied on this one. Because I felt, I mean, the Oppenheimer, I I felt, yeah, sure, that captured the period well. But everyone's pretty much just wearing the same thing. It's all suits. Now, with Napoleon, I mean, you have the dresses that uh, the queens would wear and the the French outfits. And I, I feel like had a little bit more diversity into it i i love killers of the flower moon sure it's kind of half the same uh reason i gave for oppenheimer but then you have also all the uh 
Indian garments and outfits that I thought were really cool and creative. And I got to meet a woman from the Osage tribe, a little 83-year-old lady who was wearing her own her own outfit that she wore that she's worn all her life. So that was really cool to see kind of like that in real life put the film in retrospect in terms of I don't want to say I guess authenticity for me. Anyway, but as the the two that switched back and forth with the experts, Poor Things and Barbie. Barbie definitely had a lot of different costumes. Of course, it's a movie in which that should be expected as you're it's a movie about toy dolls. But Poor Things also had some very interesting costume pieces from all the outfits that Bella wears to the different outfits of the people on the ships and uh, the how uh, the men are dressed in the film, particularly Mark Ruffalo's character is kind of very silly with the, the waviness of his colored shirt. I, I think I would want to go with Barbie on this one just because it feels like it makes the most sense for any film to win costume design it makes sense for barbie to win i would say the experts are probably looking at i feel like i'm seeing more poor things than barbie so i think that's the first one where maybe i differ with the uh, experts at gold derby on this one i will of course uh include the link to gold derby so that you guys can look through and all the experts opinions on them yourselves if you'd like to do that Next is Best Makeup and Hairstyling, for which they're nominated is Maestro, Poor Thing, Oppenheimer, Society of the Snow, and Golda. Now, Poor Things was definitely really creative in its makeup and hairstyling, and I definitely could see it uh, leaning towards the win. Oppenheimer, I think, did a really good job. I definitely thought that Killian Murphy really captured the appearance, but at, at the same time, I always felt like I was just looking at Killian Murphy. Now, with Society of the Snow, I would really love to see when, because I would love that the the creators, uh, the heads of the department, were the same as Pan's Labyrinth, uh, for which they won. So I would really love to see them return, what, 17 years later? And win the award. But I will say. Uh, with Golda. I thought was excellent. At transforming uh, Helen Mirren. Of course I haven't seen the film yet. But you can tell from. And you can watch the trailer. I didn't even know it was Helen Mirren. Until I saw her name on the screen. Because I was like. If you don't see her name. You would not instantly recognize her. I do still need to watch the film. But as also the experts are predicting i think this one is going to go to bradley cooper's or to to maestro for bradley cooper is leonard bernstein because he really does transform i mean he's you can still tell it's bradley cooper at times but he still looks so different i i don't know if if i had to pick whether helen mirren looked more like golda Meir or that Bradley Cooper looks like Leonard Bernstein. Ugh. But I, I definitely feel like it leans more towards Bradley Cooper on this. And at, 
at the top if uh, there's a an ad for maestro on netflix and all the different pictures of him it, and it shows how he ages in the film too so yeah i would definitely say it it i think it makes most sense for maestro to win best makeup and hairstyling Alrighty, and then finally for the last one is Best Production Design, for which there's Oppenheimer, Napoleon, Killers of the Flower Moon, Poor Things, and Barbie. And now, I feel like this goes a bit hand-in-hand -hand with Best Costuming, because they're both creating the world in which the film takes place in, and as most of the experts predict it's either Barbie or Poor Things, which I think really goes in line. I mean, Barbie definitely had a, a, a fantastic set, although there's also parts, a lot of the times where they're not in Barbie land, where the set is obviously a little bit more plain and ordinary, although even when they have like the office in the real world, where um, Will Ferrell, Ferrell and all his lackeys are hanging out are is creative. I, I think for this one, I'm going to give it to Poor Things and say that I really love the, the world that they created. Uh, it was very colorful, very, very artistic, very creative. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm thinking about the dick window on the whorehouse. If, if you haven't, if you didn't notice it the first time and you actually look at the horror house she's staying in, the window's just an upside down dick and balls. I mean, that, that's <laughs> uh, surprise. Anyways, I'm going to cut it off there because I'm going to save some of the rest for next week as to probably be like my main subject as well as whatever films I knock out, well, between now and the next episode. That and now I have to cut a bunch of air out of this episode because I just let it roll on as I was scrolling, but hopefully it will make things easier for me. But I got through a lot of the technical awards. Next week I'll start going through the acting awards and the writing and directing and sound and best picture and all of that. So, as always, I am your host, Luther Graves, director actor star narrator of this podcast luther loves movies this has been an extremely difficult episode and i promise never to indulge in particular activities before recording a podcast again because this has been it's not actually been that bad and i have actually been less anxious i just feel like i've been a lot more silly this episode Anyways, the music is Boss Antigua by Kevin McLeod. The cover photo is, of course, by Dallas Stepp. I am your host, Luther Graves. This podcast is distributed by Acast. And I will be sure to try and include any links to stuff I mentioned in today's episode in the description. Alright, until next time, goodbye!